0: Welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm Pam Stack, your host. I'm also a book junkie and a cat wrangler. Most of you know that about me. You've heard about my Fab Four. Today, I'm very happy to have a very special guest, Dr. Jonathan Shivers. He is the vet for the Fab Four. Hi, Dr. Shivers. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you?
1: Doing fantastic. Thank good. you so- for having
0: me on. I'm, I'm sure. thrilled that you're here. So I thought today we would do a, a little bit of the truth about cats and dogs, since those are your specialties. You you don't really do deal with exotic animals. But all everybody I know has a cat or a dog and people who don't have a pet are not my friends. So <laughs> so the first thing I want to ask you though is there are a lot of myths about animals. For example, if a cat or a dog has mange, you can put motor oil on them to cure it. Now, I don't, I happen to think that's the most horrible thing I've ever heard, but one of my four had mange and, you know, I had to give them some stinky smelling stuff and keep it on them. Why in the world did, where did that myth come from? Do you have any idea?
1: Um, well, I think basically that was probably an old, an old folk remedy on something they might have used. And you know what? Something like that might might kill the mange, but it also might kill your pet so you yeah. see, you have what you might change one problem for a much bigger one um there's there's medicines and there's a lot better ways to deal with something like that so we really don't push for something like that that would be so toxic and probably not fun to deal with at the house anyway without getting yeah. it all over yourself or anywhere else so
0: yeah yeah
1: um, I don't know that that's an old folk one that kind of um I've heard before usually out in the country that's one that I hear from know yeah. I mean, we usually Kind of encourage them to to pick some new methods that we have. There, you right. know, there's, there's better ways.
0: There are newer things to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's,
0: <laughs> that's okay. So that's my favorite thing is everyone says you can tell your cat or dog is okay if you touch their nose and it's cold. Is that yeah. true?
1: I've heard the cold, wet nose story. I see lots of warm, dry noses, and they're fine. Now, if they do have a fever, they might be a little bit warmer, and you might tell that on their nose. But I, I can say I never use that as any determining factor when I do an exam. And we go pretty thorough from nose to toes, and uh, that's not really something I usually coordinate into there. Um, other than maybe correlating to if they're if they're warmer, they have a fever, then their nose might be a little bit warmer. But um, I, I don't really look at that as, as much of a, as an indicator a, for me. That's not
0: a, a vet condition or you're, you're a vet symptom you're looking at.
1: Yeah. Every once in a while I get a client coming in and they say, oh, my, you know, like you said, it's a, it's, the dog's got a, a warm nose or something like that. And I can't remember ever someone coming in for that and really turning into much more than a, um, a warm
0: nose pet. <laughs>
1: yeah, <exactly. laughs> I, people on hot and cold too. I think sometimes. So. There
0: um, you
1: go. Everybody runs a little differently. but
0: So I'd like to know, what is the l- average lifespan of a domesticated cat?
1: So I would say on average, um, a minimum goal we hope for on average would be around the 16, 18 year mark. 16 is pretty common. We see if you're doing anywhere in the teens in general, you're, I think you're doing pretty well. But, um, you know, ideally you like to see them go into their 20s. Um, and we can see that and, and, and many will, and, and some just naturally live, you know, a little bit, sh- have a shorter lifespan, but generally the 16 to 18 is a good range to say, Hey, you're doing something right. If you've gotten them that far.
0: And what about for dogs? And I know dogs have a varying range because whether they're a pedigree or whether they're a mutt, whether they're little, mm-hmm. whether they're bred down, super small. I don't know if dogs are bred up or not. I guess they would be with Labradoodles, but is there an average range, range for dogs in general?
1: It really kind of depends. I see um, I see a lot of dogs that are a larger breed that will live for a shorter amount of time. So um, compared to a smaller breed, like say a 10 or 15 pounder, um, a Chihuahua or um, a Maltese or, or a breed on a smaller side, uh, we'll see the smaller one guys live uh, for, I don't know, I, I'd say closer to 15 years, not as long as the cats, but 14, 15 years on average. And then for a big dog, like say a Labrador, like, you know, you may mention 60, 70, 80 pounds. I would say the average is closer to about 12 years. And then we have some larger breed dogs, uh, some Mastiffs um, and breeds in the hundred plus pound range. and you know, some of those great Danes will be expecting an average of around eight years and and some still go longer. We're just talking about averages here. So that's not any end all be all by any means.
0: What is the breed of dog that people can have if they're allergic to dogs?
1: Well, it seems like some of the hypoallergenic breeds there, there's, there's some hairless breeds. It seems like with, um, with dogs, I have a lot of clients who will focus on poodles, or now they're looking at labradoodles or something along those lines. The poodles have more of a human-type hair, so they shed much less, and they seem to have a lot less dander and a lot less problems for people.
0: And cats?
1: There are some hairless cats out there, some Asinians, Sphinx, those type of breeds, and they will be fairly hairless, and uh, they are unique. They have a lot of personality, though, and we have seen a lot of those lately also, and I think that's another reason... Um, some people just really like the look, but also um, less fur, less dander. And they do a little bit better with that at home.
0: They, they dress them up too, don't they? Oh, I, can't, yeah. I can't imagine trying to dress up one of mine. You know all four of my cats and um, mm-hmm. not anyone, particularly Godiva, would ever be happy about that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Let's that's back more. up a little bit. I'm sorry, say it again.
1: I <laughs> say some cats don't mind very much, but yeah, others won't yeah. have it. You know, you
0: know, these, these four know they own me. So that's mm-hmm. not, there's not a, I can't even put a bell on a collar with them. So I want to go back to the very beginning. Um, You grew up in Miami where I did, and mm-hmm. you were always a pet lover. Tell me about growing up and your love of animals.
1: Well, um, like you said, I grew up in South Florida. So I would say I must've been about five years old in kindergarten. And I just, You know, kids always pick randomly some some profession or or some job they see that they just think, oh, that's great and changes every month or two. Um, And I basically just decided I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was little. And growing up, we had worked with there was a dentist, actually, and one of his family members was a receptionist. And she got into rehab and rehab things like squirrels and birds and things like Mm -hmm. that. At one point, I think I was eight or nine, they were rehabbing four squirrels and they let us take over it with my family. So I was like one of the primary caregivers there. And we raised them up until they were strong enough to be released. And I mean, it, for a kid, it was just fantastic and fulfilling. And, you know, I had a pet dog that I loved very much. And we had other pets throughout our younger years and it just kept building on that. And one day I started working in high school with a veterinarian and and the rest is history. I still loved it and everything about it. So here I am now.
0: You went to University of Florida School of Veterinary Medicine, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did. I was there for, for all of my training for graduate and undergraduate.
0: What kind of internships or externships did you do?
1: Well, what we would do is when we were in clinics for our, our four years of veterinary training, they would allow us to do externships in a few week blocks and i did uh some throughout the state uh, i did some emergency medicine blocks uh in tampa where you would go for a couple weeks and work exclusively in the evenings for all the emergency calls and you would see mm-hmm. anything that would bring pets in we um we could do general practice externships as well where we would just go to a practice a veterinary practice and work with the doctors and see all the cases that they saw and work them up accordingly and then the mainstay for all of the students was to do clinical rotations at the hospital where you would work in you know, everything from large animal to small animal, to surgery, to cardiology. We have oncology, And also, um, you know, with the large animal, you could do the same thing all over again, medical, uh, surgery, Then you get to see all the specialists. We uh, got to take care of bald eagles, um, tigers, all sorts of neat things.
0: Ah, but you've confined your practice to cats and dogs.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, I've enjoyed uh, practicing on a, a wide variety of animals, but, you know, here in sunny Fort Myers, that is kind of the mainstay with what we have. And, it is indeed. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to do some of the, uh, to be focused on a small practice here, small animal practice, and then also do something like horses. It requires some, a lot more house calls, which would take me right. away from a lot of my appointments. In
0: house. Um, would you tell us, please, about your two locations in Fort Myers? I see you at both places when I'm with my cats, but primarily I see you at Companion Animal Center or Pet Center. Would you tell us um, why did you choose those two? Because they're pretty far apart. And tell me a little bit about your practice. Yeah. Well,
1: we uh, we started out at Indian Creek Pet Hospital, and that is in South Fort Myers, uh, right on the way to Fort Myers Beach and to sanibel so that's where I basically moved here and and kind of took over from a good friend's parents, actually. So I kind of knew the entire family, and it just was a great fit and got started there. And then while we were working there, we kind of saw that actually we had some clients driving from further away from other areas, and um, basically happened to find another practice that just opened where the the previous veterinarian his family life took him outside of Fort Myers. So we went from. South Fort Myers to a more central location, which is um, around or off off Winkler and, and Six Mile, which is a little bit more central. And it actually, kind of worked out where we had some clients that had moved towards that area and found, found us there. And we're ecstatic to have kind of access with a little bit less traffic, especially in the as we get into our our high season where all the snowbirds come down and, and everything gets a little bit more hectic in the area.
0: Well, I've been to both offices and your staff is marvelous in both of them. So anybody who's interested in going really should go. Um, Dr. Shivers and his staff were very kind and compassionate, all of them. So I think you'd enjoy it. Um, Dr. Shivers, will you please discuss just briefly some best practices for house cats? All
1: right. And, so- and
0: should cats go outside? That's really a big bothering thing to me because I like to take care of all the outies outside and I've seen mm-hmm. too many of them harmed by predators, whether they're dogs or other animals or because they get caught in a car and they get acid dripped on them, run yeah. over, things like that. So best practices for house cats.
1: So I would say we generally do recommend for them to be indoor. Um, you kind of hit the the nail on the head with a lot of the concerns, you know, outside they can get into tussles with wildlife, raccoons, other animals, other dogs that may try to find them. Um, cars, they may not always understand what's coming at them with at, at night. And, you know, that's a, not a great way to, to, to lose a pet. And you may never even find out. You never really know. So we do know there are studies about significantly shortening the lifespan of an animal that's outdoors versus an indoor pet. And, um, I mean, we see it in the day to day when we have an indoor outdoor one that, that comes in for some sort of wound from maybe from fighting with other cats. It may be from a dog or, you know, a hit by a car or something like that. So mm-hmm. we think usually, you know, they do pretty well inside and, you know, unless you have a screened in lanai or somewhere where they can stretch their legs a little bit like that, but we usually recommend them pretty much keep them on the property in the in the house where it's a little bit safer, a little bit less for you to worry about.
0: Now, domesticated cats are very different from animals that live out, cats that live outside, like our Florida panther and everything. Mm -hmm. Because of, of just years of domesticating them, centuries of domesticating cats, um, are they, are they tolerant more of indoor temperatures or do they, do cats not mind being out in the heat or in the very, very cold?
1: I think I'd be a a little bit more worried about being in the very cold, uh, up North down here. I think, I don't think it ever gets too terrible. I know I got to admit, I know plenty of cats that love hanging out in the garage. If, if, uh, I know some people who leave, uh, their garage door, they'll leave a little cat door to the garage. So they're still in the house and they, they will go out there and hang out. Um, (laughs) it's crazy. You just got to be careful about when you back out your car, which Hopefully those cats realize when you're coming out there and they hear the door shut and the engine turn on to be careful. But um, you know, out in the wild, we always occasionally we'll hear about kittens and when it's cold out that some kittens will go into the wheel well. Uh, right. if the tires are somewhere warm, and that's always a concern because right. if you hear them and they don't realize what's going on, that right. can be a recipe for disaster. But actually, they, they will enjoy some some warm weather. I don't know what it is or why what they like about the garage or what, but um, and that's only some. I think um, I think they can handle it, but I don't think they need it. You know, as far as anything along those lines.
0: Okay, so um, when you're when you go to feed your cat, I've always been told that you never buy pet food in a people store. It, does that hold true? I mean, I think there.
1: It just depends what they offer. There's so many cat foods out there. Um, you just need to look at at some of the labels. They should have something called the AFCO statement or the AFCO label saying it meets the minimum requirements of nutrition, um, just to make sure that you you've got a good diet. And that's something that really, depending on your cat and, and how big or small they are, weight wise, you know, if they're overweight or if they're right ideal, that's something that I kind of recommend you you kind of look at. On a case by case basis with your vet, and you can talk to them about whatever diet you happen to be on already, and is it is it a good diet for your pet? And I think they'll be able to tell by well, we're kind of overweight. It might be a great diet, but um, we we could cut it back a little bit. Or hey, we got a gorgeous coat and everything's looking good. Or you know, are we vomiting? Do we have lots of hairballs? There's a lot of things we can tie into that. And I mean, there there's a couple okay diets. There's obviously varying degrees of quality, but you can right. still get A decent quality, I think, if you just kind of discuss it with your veterinarian and they can give you options that you can get at at most places, whether it be your vet or a pet store, or, you know, there's a couple that you can still get, I would say, at a uh, a human pet or a human food store. But I think you got to be very careful and very selective because they do have a lot of the lower tier kind of like the junk foods. Right. Well, that you may not do you as much of a service and something kind of addressed on a case by case and can usually talk to your vet about which, which brands they recommend.
0: Very good. Now, um, as far as vaccinating cats, Mm -hmm. what's the rule of thumb and how often should they be visiting you?
1: Well, for us, we do protocol where we have um core vaccines which we consider uh rabies and then there's a a combo vaccine we sometimes call a feline uh, almost like the a distemper vaccine which includes pan leukopenia rhinotracheitis and Klesi, which are some of the common things that we will find in our environment and we will occasionally see outbreaks kind of pop up um, and we recommend those for our indoor pets um, because they do sometimes sneak out and they do sometimes get into things. And especially rabies is really more of a human health standard um, standpoint safety issue where, if heaven forbid, uh, we always see these random, you know, anything that can go wrong will or right. I'll be playing with a toy. It turns out to be a a dying bat, which happens to be dying because it had rabies, you know, mm-hmm. or something that got into yeah. the of a house or something. But those are the core vaccines we really recommend. And then there is a vaccine for leukemia. And we recommend that for anybody that either goes outside or um, well, basically goes outside is the main thing. Or we also like to recommend that for young cats as kittens to get just initially, because that's probably when they're most susceptible to a lot of infectious diseases. And you really don't know what kind of cat you're going to have necessarily. Like you think you do, but then there's there will be some of these escape artists that just you go out to get groceries and leave the door open a crack going in between the car and the in the kitchen, they will sneak out and not come back right. and get in a tussle you know, that's, you know that's something you're going to worry about when they're coming to contact with some cats from the outside.
0: So. Okay. Let's talk about dogs now. Well, what are some of the the best practices for dogs? And we'll start again with, you know how should dogs be out in the yard all the time?
1: I think they can be, but if they are, they're going to need access to water, access to shade. Um, ideally, I like them indoors also, but they do enjoy being outside. In Florida, we do get some pretty pretty intense heat, especially in the summertime, and it can be pretty brutal for a good part of the day. So you definitely need a shady spot, um, hopefully where there's some air ventilation flow, which outside we should have some anyway, um, and a water, ball, uh, a water bowl that I would keep. Uh, Somewhere again in the shade so it doesn't kind of get get too cooked and
0: water yeah yeah Yeah. and
1: i i i would say it's always good to have you know if they have access into um just a cooler shaded area in the house some some people have porch access so they can come into the screen porch um i know my dog stays out too long she gets pretty stinky pretty quick so
0: no no well that brings up an interesting point some people tell me they bathe their cats now my only cat that likes water is Godiva.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: the other ones, if I try to, she used to jump in my jacuzzi all the time. She just loves water. She'll come mm-hmm. in the shower and everything. How often do, do you actually have to bathe a cat if they're not dirty? And how often should you be bathing a dog?
1: I would say for a dog, I usually bathe them when they stink. <laughs> but some people can do it once a week. And I think that's great. Um, for cats, they do maintain themselves pretty well. And if they need a bath, sometimes some of them just like laying in dirt, and then you don't want that in your house laying all over your couch or wherever else. And that right. might be an indication that it's time for them to get a bath if they're out on a, on a porch or a patio and I, like we talked about. But um, for the most part, they should be able to clean themselves. And if they're getting really dirty or matted, that might be an indication they need to get checked out because they may not just, they may just not feel well. They may not be grooming themselves like they should be because they feel feel off or something's not right with them. And you may want to get them checked out and see. And again, it's just kind of, if you see them, if your white, uh, fluffy snowflake or, or, or a Q-tip or a cotton ball, white cat come in and they're all of a sudden gray or black, I think they it, can. It's themselves. a good indicator. Yeah. It might be time to get them, get them yeah. cleaned up.
0: Um, let's talk about dog food. Mm-hmm. again, can you buy good dog food in a people store or should you buy be buying dog food in a dog food store, a pet supply store? Because I think their needs are, are nutritionally very different, aren't they?
1: Yeah, they, they are slightly different. In a pinch, you can feed cat food to a dog, but you should never have um, a cat trying to live off dog food because they need certain amino acids like taurine that there's just not enough in a dog food. So you can't get away with that with cats, um, but dogs will eat anything. One problem is with, I feel like the cat food is a lot of times higher calorie where they gain a little bit more weight and the dogs will get a little bit chubby if you put them on just cat food or something. But in a pinch, you can get away with it and you won't do any harm. Okay. Um, I still think, um, yeah, some of the best foods are going to be at pet stores or at your veterinarian's office. But there are a few diets that you might find that, that will work. And for a short term, I, I often use it like we described. Sometimes there are a few diets that are more based on marketing and it might be you know, okay, not the best, but it kind of like a junk food where, you know, you can you can go out to get pizza every now and again, but you know, should you eat it every night? Not necessarily. Right. Um, in a pinch, you know, if the stores are closed and you have to get something there that, that's all right. But uh you're gonna get generally your better quality is going to be either at your vet or your pet store.
0: Okay. What about vaccines and vitamins for dogs?
1: Well I've always been told, we went to a couple of nutrition classes, even in undergrad. Sometimes when you're taking vitamins, it's almost like you're just buying expensive pee because a lot of that, if you're on a proper diet, you should be getting a balanced meal anyway. But sometimes we do have deficiencies in certain ways because we have a certain metabolic disorder or something like that. And it certainly can't hurt for them to have it and utilize everything they can to the best of their ability, especially if they do have a a maldigestion or something where possibly supplementing a little bit extra will help help level that out um so a lot a majority of healthy animals may not need it and again if we do an exam and see that there's something going on we may offer that sometimes we will do puppy uh, puppy and kitten supplements um just to help them with their growth make sure they have everything they need and it may just be one or two things within a multivitamin that they actually need and the rest are are just in there and they like i said you just buy an expensive pee and they'll just pee them on out but um there you go. It's not a bad idea. It's not going to hurt anything. And sometimes you may think, hey, what do you have to lose?
0: Okay. What are the no-nos with cats and dogs? What do you never want to do? For example, um, is it okay to give cats ice cream and whipped cream and milk?
1: Okay. So a lot of cats will ask you for it and will be very happy if you give it to them. But technically, uh, cats and dogs are actually lactose intolerant with cow's milk. So especially if they get a lot, they could get a bellyache. They could have vomiting. They could get pretty upset stomach. Uh, a lot of people always know oh, cats love cream and, and they do like it, but doesn't mean they should have it. Even um, if you get a kitten that you rescue or you find, and it's usually we don't adopt them out before they're eight weeks old. Right. But if you find one outside a stray or something along those lines and they need milk, you shouldn't be using cow's milk. They have a KMR, a kitten milk replacer. And we use that. Oh, excuse me. And they have a, puppy milk replacer also a lot of times we will sneak and use if we in a pinch we can use kid milk replacer for puppies and that's okay but we don't usually go to milk to cow's milk for them because it it will upset the stomach and cause other issues so yeah i don't really recommend that whenever i hear about that i don't really um recommend that um small amounts everything in moderation small amount here and there is probably not the end of the world but I think there's other treats you can offer and maybe not get yourself in any, any trouble or worry about it either.
0: Okay. Anything there you should absolutely not do for a cat or a dog?
1: Well, that's kind of broad. That's that's kind of. Well,
0: what what is it you see that you're always saying, I don't think that's healthy for your pet? Hmm. Uh,
1: I would say, so for cats, I would just worry. If you're on a balanced cat food, you should be in good shape there. But it's not necessarily what you feed, but it's how much you feed. We see a, we're seeing a lot of animals that are getting on the heavier side and if they're obese for cats to see tons of cats that turn and transition to diabetes. And that's um that's something that can kill them if they're not medicated uh and regulated once they get that. And and if we with the ray diet, we can get some to revert back to a normal cat, which is ideal. So you're not having to give them insulin every day, which is an injection, but um, I would say, I mean, diet is something that's easy to control that you guys can do at home and hopefully prevent something like that for dogs. Diabetes is a concern too. But I think the dogs that that get more obese, they are more prone to arthritis. And there was a, a study, gosh, it must have been 10 years ago, a retrospective study where they split up uh, litters of Labrador puppies and they kept some on the heavier side and some on the skinnier side of normal. And not even, um, grossly obese, but basically the ones they kept on the skinnier side of normal lived on average, like an extra 14 months. Wow. um, So I, I think that's something with diet that can be a huge, a huge, it's just so easy to affect that and have a good outcome for different reasons for the two breeds, um, or, or species, excuse me. So, um, I think that's something, but I mean, gosh, you could talk forever about all those. That's such a, that's such a broad, you know, there's so many things that could potentially, um, you can discuss there, but I I think think it would be a good one that that, that you can focus on and have a good effect on.
0: If I want to find another vet, and and I'm not going to, but if I don't live near you Mm -hmm. and I want to find a good vet, how do I, who, what do I look for? Besides Um. talking to my friends, I'm new in town and I need to find a veterinarian. Is there some, some special qualification I should be looking at or some, uh, affiliation that i should be looking at that clues me off you know Um,
1: there is an aha certification this american um animal hospital association so that is one where basically you know i think i think in general most vets are are excellent they're they're well trained um they're highly trained they're smart individuals and you just ha- you really have to find someone that just fits with you and your personality. Probably, I think that's important. So that's where maybe a friend who has someone they like you you may identify with them because it's someone that gets along with their personality that you agree with. Um, but uh, there is that the aha is something you can look for, and that's just they they have certain standards of their own that they hold um, accountable um, an additional higher standard, but even ones without the AHA uh, certification and that are not members of the association can be great bets. And I know a ton on both sides of that spectrum and um they can all do great things in great medicine. Um I think, I think the best thing you can do is, is, is ask friends for places that they've been happy. You know, I think word of mouth is, is the most legitimate I, I've seen. Sure lots of things on reviews that I can read through. And I I know that it's, it's not exactly accurate um, for places that I've dealt with. And, um, and I I think that's too easy to manipulate from, from that standard. I think talking to people and then calling the hospital, you you're interested in and seeing how they handle things when they talk to you on the phone. Um, I think a, a lot of hospitals are more than happy to potentially give a tour yeah. Um, things might be a little bit different right now, dealing with COVID and things along those lines, but just take a look and go somewhere you're comfortable with. I mean, for a lot of people, this is like, like their, their child, they call them their fur babies and everything That's else right. a lot. So, right. um, I think they should be able to answer some questions if you have any from the receptionist standpoint. And I, you know, I don't think, uh, it's unreasonable to schedule an initial exam and have them kind of do an exam and get a feel for them and then decide you know, is that something you want to do for the long-term or, you know, maybe make that a one-time visit and then you decide to go elsewhere. I mean, you you gotta, you have to feel comfortable for, like I said, for many of these people, this is a family member. So, right. um, I think those are some things I do think talking to someone you actually know. Um, I think that's valuable. Yeah. Yes. Some of the stuff you see online, I feel like that's usually someone More often than not, it's more upset about something than happy. Right, than
0: happy, right. Yeah. I want to remind everyone, I'm speaking to Dr. Jonathan Shivers. Dr. Shivers is the veterinarian for MyFab4. He also um, has seen a lot of my friends' pets, and they're very happy with him. Dr. Shivers, will you please tell us the websites for your two centers here in Fort Myers, Florida?
1: Um, Yeah, um, there's indiancreekvet.com and Companion Pet Care is companionpcc.com.
0: Dr. Shivers, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Before I let you go, is there a book that you would recommend for people who want to adopt a pet and don't really know what kind they want to adopt, or should they talk to a vet? Who do you go to to find out about adopting for your family?
1: That is uh, a good question. I don't know of any specific books that really give you a good idea or guide for something along those lines. Um, I haven't had a lot of those scenarios where they're trying to figure out on what would be a good pet for me. Um, That would be something you could call a veterinarian that you know in your area and speak to even our support staff. And it really kind of just depends on what what you're looking for. And then we can kind of give you an idea on, you know, I want a companion that likes to go for runs and jogs and high energy, or I want to train them or, right. Well, I just, I just want a companion that I can take on a plane with me and go all over, all over the U S traveling. There's a, there's a lot of different, but you can actually call in. I think we're actually, most veterinarians are actually really good resources for things like that, where, the staff really care also, not just the veterinarian, but the support staff that really helps so much make a hospital what it is. They can kind of give a lot of great advice and oh,
0: okay.
1: kind of help with that a lot. Um, Cause if we don't have a pet to examine, you know, sometimes it's a little bit tougher for us to kind of get to know you, but I feel like okay. our support staff can really, um, they can be an ambassador for our clinics. Yeah, And kind of help with those type of questions. Yeah, your
0: staff is wonderful in both places. I have to, you know, give five stars on both. I'm always very happy to go and happy to refer people. This is my guest, Dr. Jonathan Shivers of Fort Myers, Florida. He is a veterinarian extraordinaire. And I found him from a Facebook friend of mine whose husband is a veterinary surgeon up in Sarasota. And um, when I had a problem with one of my cats, he says, oh, here's a great guy for you to go and see. So there's a referral from another veterinarian, a a vet surgeon, though. He has a surgical hospital, and he sees all breeds of animals there. Dr. Shivers, thank you so much for being with me today. We really appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact that you're sitting in the room that has the kitty cats on the wall.
1: Yeah. I thought you might like that.
0: (laughs) I do. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.